body weight is great and a lot of studios and a lot of companies, fitness companies are talking about, you know, you can do all body weight at home, but really when it comes down to it, if we're gonna be true to our principles and our philosophy, you know, we really do think that lifting weights is important and like a, a, like a key element to anyone's training program for a myriad of different reasons. You're listening to Muscle Medicine, where we debunk the myths in the health and wellness world to bring you the latest updates in exercise, rehab, and nutrition from industry leaders. Join your host, Dr. Emily Kybert, chiropractor and movement expert, as she brings you simple, actionable tips to reach your fullest potential. Nora Matthew, welcome to Muscle Medicine Podcast. I have been, I guess, kind of like secretly girl crush perusing <laughs> your multiple Instagrams, which by the way, PregnaFit, Her String Studio, and then your own personal Instagram. And I was like, how does she have so, like, how does she maintain all of them? <laughs> but I'm sure like you do it for the ladies. Oh, absolutely. <laughs> and I have a team. I can't take all the credit. My social media, I, I did have to, to, to take on some help late last year. So I've been, yeah. you know, I oversee everything, but yeah, I have, I have, I have a team. <laughs> <laughs> good. It's good to have like the good people backing you and surrounding you and helping you out. So during this kind of weird time of COVID-19 pandemic, what have you noticed, right? Cause you have a brick and mortar. I've had a brick and I have a brick and mortar. We've had to close our brick and mortars mm-hmm. um, and everything. There's been just like this big shift and when you look at everything on Instagram, everyone and their mother is doing like the free workout, you know? Right. And I'm thinking, yeah. A, how's their form? And then B, how's the form of the person that's doing it at home that they can't see? So I'm just wondering, curious, that during this time, what has really shifted or what's, what's come top of mind for you? So I think number one, priority for us was to act quickly for our clients to continue to provide, you know, a service that was at least the at-home equivalent, what we would do in the studio. And so we made sure to live stream. So like the day that we closed that next morning, we were live streaming. So um, I love that. Yeah. Yeah. We, We did not miss a beat. And, you know, again, it was just, it was really important for us to, you know, try to at least maintain some kind of routine for our clients because I knew that, you know, coming back to it after taking some time off would be much more challenging. So that was the number one was like getting live stream figured out and then communicating with the people who I knew would not be able to live stream. And so based on my communications with them, we did design programs that we are delivering via TrueCoach. So the app TrueCoach, which I really love. love. Yeah, I've been working with it actually for just over a year with my own coaches that I work with in Portland, Oregon. So I was familiar with the program and had toyed with doing some online things before. And now it just was kind of like, okay, now you have to do it. So here we go. So, <laughs> so we created some, um, some group programs. So basically they were, they were pre-programmed three workouts a week for four weeks. So they got 12 workouts 
super affordable. And it was all very much based on what equipment they had at home. Cause I think the biggest concern that I was hearing from people was, you know, I don't have the equipment that you have. I don't have bands. I don't have kettlebells. I don't have dumbbells. I'm like, okay, well let's figure this out. That doesn't mean that you can't have them at home. It just means that we need to figure out what are you willing to invest in? If you're not, you know, going to invest in anything, that's absolutely fine. You know, we'll work with that. But we did really encourage people to, to invest in at least a couple of pieces of equipment just to optimize their workouts. So we're lucky we worked with Perform Better and kind of developed a little relationship with them where we have a sales rep that they call and he gives them um, a discount. So that That's was really, perfect. really awesome. Yeah. yeah. I mean, when else in the history of the planet is there like a shortage of kettlebells? <laughs> I know. <laughs> I know. Like everywhere. I went to all my go-to's and I was like, just, just curious to see is everywhere. But I did actually find, I did finally find a, a site that had an eight kilo that I wanted to send to a client because she she hadn't bought anything. And I was like, you know, watching her work out live with a plate. And I was like, no, <laughs> we need to get you a so, kettlebell. So what is like the bare minimum for, you know, women who work with you, they've been, they've learned form, right? They're yeah. not starting from mm-hmm. nothing at home, right. but like right. for someone at home who doesn't have anything and you're like, listen, let's do a program for you. What would be like the bare minimum you'd want them to have? So I did ask for like some kind of weight. I did actually, I should say, we did design a body weight program. So a fully body weight program that I added in like a couple things like, hey, if you have a weight, you can throw this in here. But if people were live streaming from home, I said a minimum of having at least one weight, ideally a kettlebell, just because that's our main mode here um, with hard style bells. But if people didn't have a kettlebell, we would make dumbbells work. So it takes me a little bit longer to explain what to do, just depending on what equipment people have. Like, this is what you're going to do if you have a kettlebell. This is what you're going to do if you have a dumbbell. This is what you're going to do if you have body weight. But yeah, we asked for like one weight and then everything else was a bonus, really. What what was the one weight? Like, what was the actual kilo? So we gave people an option. I said, if they had one kettlebell, it should be between like, 10 and 16 kilos. Ideally, they had to press it overhead. So it's like, okay, yeah. so you had to be able to press 10 kilos overhead. And if it was a dumbbell, yeah, somewhere between like 15 and 25 pounds. Yeah. I think it's so important to continue the exercise at home, not only for the stress relief, the mental sanity, but I really feel like this is a huge time where there's going to be wasting of muscle mass. <laughs> Oh my gosh. Yeah. The quarantine 15. And I think it's so important for people to be working out being in Brooklyn. I'm like, everyone, there's more runners on the street, but strength is so important during this time. It is. It is really important. I'm actually just, I was writing a post earlier talking about how, yes, like body weight is great. And a lot of studios and a lot of companies, fitness companies are talking about, you know, you can do all body weight at home, but really when it comes down to it, if we're going to be true to our principles and our philosophy, you know, we really do think that lifting weights is important and like a, a, like a key element to anyone's training program for a myriad of different reasons. Like non-negotiable, basically. Yeah. I mean, really, when it comes down to if you're going to get the most out of your program, I don't think I've ever taught a fully body weight class in here. I don't, I don't think I've ever, I don't think I've ever done that. I think, you know, it's always, always has some kind of, some kind of weight, you know, just depending on what you're doing it. And, and it doesn't mean that, you know, everything has to be, you don't have to be holding a 20 kilo bell for everything. It just means that like it creates a little bit of reflexive awareness 
for your body to like, you know, if you're carrying something, you're automatically going to like stand up a little straighter because that's how your body works. It reacts to certain things. That's our, you know, kind of innate ability to do that. And so, you know, it's not about having to look like, you know, a badass, so to speak. It's just, it's about, you know, getting the most out of your program. And a lot of times with body weight movements, you have to do like a hundred reps for it to be considered effective or feel effective in your body, especially if you're fit. And really, if your form's not great and you're doing a hundred reps, where is that going to leave you? Is that going to bring you further forward and give you progress? Or is it going to really just regress you and, you know, possibly put you at risk for injury? And so time consuming. Like I'd rather just do like six heavy squats. (laughs) Exactly. I, I know. I was, yeah, my coach has actually programmed some sets of his six and eight deadlifts. And I was like, oh, barbell cardio. <laughs> That's so many deadlifts. Yeah, totally. So what have you seen with your moms? Because you have a very unique niche that I love, which is like the prenatal and then also mm-hmm. the postpartum. What do you see your moms struggling with? Maybe we'll break it into like, what do you see the women who are like, prenatal because I'm sure the pregnant woman, if I was pregnant right now, I would be, my anxiety would be at a whole different level. Yeah. Um, but yeah, what's coming up? So we've tried to keep communication open with our, our pregnant moms. They have kind of, kind of equally distributed. Some of them are live streaming with us, which again, involves another element of me explaining, you know, if you're pregnant, you're going to do this. You're not going to do that kind of thing. So some of them have really been great about live streaming. We probably have about five or six consistently live streaming. It is the anxiety. I think that's like the overarching theme with the pregnant women right now. It's, you know, it's just like, it's what if I have to do this? And what if I have to go to the hospital and my partner can't come? And, you know, it's just all of these thoughts. And, you know, like you're saying, I would be like completely anxious and beside myself if I was pregnant right now. It's it's a lot for anyone to take to just be pregnant and then you add on all of this extra stress on top of it. And it's just like, I don't know how they're making it through, but I I think it is keeping them in a good routine, the women who are live streaming. And then I have probably about a dozen pregnant clients who they were not all my, my clients previously. Some of them are new clients that purchased our online program, our pregnancy program through True Coach and they're doing that at home as well. And so I'm just like trying to check in with them and just make sure like I I I find this with anyone, it's like a fine line between checking in with people and like laying on the guilt. You know, I'm not reaching Wait, what out do you to mean? people. Well, see, I think the thing is like a lot of people feel guilty because they're not if they're not working out if or if they've like fallen uh, out see. of a routine or they've fallen out of touch and I don't want anyone to, you know, think that I'm like Hey, you're going to get like really unfit. You know, I just, I, that's not my style at all. I'm not, you know, I'm not, I was never the trainer who would like approach people and be like, you could really use a personal trainer. Hey, it's me. I was never like that. Like, you know, I'm very much about people coming to me, but I also don't want people to think that I forgot about them. Yeah. I'm trying to keep lines of communication open, even if they're not working out consistently. And then in my postpartum moms, actually, interestingly, this past Saturday, we started our first early postpartum class done virtually. So it's awesome. our, yeah, we do a four-week program that women can start once they get clearance from their doctor or midwife after they have their baby. So usually like six to eight weeks. And it's usually an in-studio. They usually bring their babies with them. And so this was the first time we had ventured to do it online. And 
my first class, of course, the first class is usually a little bit longer than 45 minutes. It was like an hour and 15 minutes. So there was just like so much to cover and so much to talk about. And everyone kind of gives a little snippet of their birth story. And, you know, we allow time for questions and all that kind of stuff. So I had had quite a few requests for that class. So I'm very happy that that has started. And now they're all working via True Coach in between classes. So I'll see them again this coming Saturday and we'll get some more of that in. So we'll get our, our second weekend. So hopefully, I'm hoping by the end of the class, you know, that we'll, I'll be able to bring them in in person and, and you know, they can talk in person because there's nothing, nothing can really replace that person-to-person contact. Yeah. Are the postpartum moms, I see it like it could go two ways. It could either be they want to get outside for like a little fresh air and go for a walk. Right. And they might have anxiety or, you know, a lot of women postpartum, they like rush too quick. Like, I got to get back to it. And like the whole world just slowed down and maybe just enjoying even just like the first 40 days postpartum. Yeah. Maybe might feel easier because the world is not spinning so quickly. <laughs> yeah. I think that there's definitely an equal amount of, of all those things. Um, I've heard, you know, I, I have time to, you know, relax with my baby and I don't really have to worry about going to work. And then I hear the other side of it of uh, my family can't come see the baby and I don't have mm. as much support. And I'm sad that I'm like, you know, sitting around with baby and no one can be with me um, or visit. And I think that 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 is a kind of a painful piece of it as well. But yeah, I do have a couple, I have a couple people who jumped the gun a little bit on their workouts. Oh yeah. You know, got, tried to like get back into it before, you know, before they had the green light and before they'd done the class. So I do ask them at the beginning of class just to pump the brakes on any other exercise programs that they may have started. So if they went out and, and went for a run, I'm like, yeah, maybe just hold off on the running and like, you know, just stick to this program just for now. Give me four weeks. You can do whatever you want. I'll look the other way after four weeks, but like, just give me this four weeks and then, you know, we'll see how you feel after just so we can really make sure that the foundational movements are, are solid. So this is great though, because it does, it opens doors to doing the program virtually in the future and reaching some women who, you know, maybe out of the area. We've actually, we've been able to add two features we're doing an extra class on postpartum nutrition with one of my friends who is a holistic nutritionist. And then we have also had the luxury of um, adding a consultation, like a wellness consultation with a pelvic floor physical therapist who is a friend of mine. And she is on an app called Maven. And so she's able to do a 20 minute wellness consultation with all of these women and anyone who reaches out to her, we have, it's typically like, I think it's $25 to do it, but she shared a promotion code with us. And so they can, you know, talk to her virtually for 20 minutes, which is like amazing. And actually I think almost better than what it is normally, because typically this particular clinic that she works at has like a 12 week waiting list. Oh, wow. So they can make contact with her like right away. They can have a conversation with her and actually, you know, decide whether or not it would be, you know, it would be helpful and beneficial for them to physically come into the clinic, which is still open. It has added some features. So that's good. Yeah. With your postpartum women, after they get the clearance, what are some of the first movements you focus on or first even just like principles that you focus on? So I always talk like initially about just what recovery could look like and give them some yellow flags, some red flags when they return, start returning to exercise. Like if you feel like this, you know, let me know if this hurts, if there's any pain, you know, just discontinue. We talk about self-assessments. So normally like I would help them assess for a diastasis, so abdominal separation. 
But if they're at home, they're going to have to self-assess, which is not ideal, but it is what it is at this time. And we talk about pelvic floor and what pelvic floor feels like. And then really the first kind of movement thing that we do is breathing. So we work on the mechanics of breathing because that shifts so much during pregnancy. And we talk about what it means to utilize the diaphragm while breathing and that there's no wrong way to breathe, but if you can breathe in a lot of different ways, accessing, you know, different muscles and different movements, then, you know, that's ideal. And so give them a couple of different strategies to work on accessing their diaphragm, um, connecting their, their abdominal and pelvic floor muscles, you know, the ability to like shift their rib cage with their breath and just kind of connecting with the deep core just through breath. Yeah. Um, and principally breathing through the nose. What are some red and yellow flags that you mentioned? Like what are some kind of like exact ones that women should be looking for postpartum? You know, the first one, and this is not usually a problem if they're like six to eight weeks post, but if there's any kind of like bleeding, then that's problematic. So they, that should be like, they should stop right there and call their doctor right away. Could be like retained placenta. I mean, it could be a million different things. And any kind of like acute pelvic floor or any other kind of pain just to like watch out for. So that's usually like the first thing. And then upon returning to movements, just kind of being aware of what's going on with their pelvic floor. So are they feeling any kind of heaviness? Are they feeling any kind of restriction maybe on one hip as far as like internal external rotation? If they're seeing doming, their abdominal muscles. So are they, you know, are they, are they getting that intra-abdominal pressure and any kind of like excessive soreness? So I would say we start very low impact the first week. So I'm always checking in and saying like, you know, if you're really sore after this, please let me know because that might be a sign that something's going on. I hear a lot about, I'm sure, you know, back pain. So that's like the number one thing they're like, I'm always crouched, you know, crouched over feeding the baby. And I'm always like lifting them out of their crib and like trying to like cuddle them while they're sleeping. So my back always hurts. And so, um, we do include some, like a little bit of, you know, kind of gentle stretching and mobility in the first week as well. So I've completely revamped the early postpartum program over the last couple of weeks. So, I'm actually really excited. I had time to like sit down and think like, okay, what do I really want these moms to know? What is the, what are the most useful things mechanically that I can teach them in these four weeks that they can then apply to, you know, functional movement and, and, and exercise beyond yeah. this program. Are there any certain things that you would recommend a postpartum mom not do? I know I have my own bias. Like I've seen women like, <laughs> jump rope like 10 days after giving birth. And I'm like, don't do it. Like your poor pelvic floor. What's going on? Oh yeah. No. Typically what I say is pump the brakes on any kind of like high impact. So yes, running. Usually we say like just at least, and this is, it's hard because like running for so, so many women we are, is like, that's their release that's their thing. They've always been a runner. And if they're a first time mom, it's really hard for them to hear, don't run yet. Yes. I know your doctor told her that you should go back out and run now, or, or you're cleared to do anything you want, but like you need to wait a little bit longer just for the mechanics of running. And, and, you know, we, fortunately, you know, we do have the, the guidelines on running postpartum now that was released a couple years ago. And so we can refer to actual like 
you know, research and data. So that's really helpful as opposed to it just being kind of theoretical, like this might happen. And they're like, but what if I don't feel any pain? What if I don't feel any prolapse? What if I don't feel, you know what I mean? What if I'm not peeing when I'm running? So I'm like, okay, yeah, there's exceptions, but let's just err on the side of caution because you're never going to regret taking a little bit longer to recover before getting back into, you know, whatever you were doing before. Yeah. I think the six week postpartum checkup is so misleading. I know Mm -hmm. even for myself, having a background in movement and rehab and strength, going to that six week checkup and they're like, okay, granted, I have never seen an OB, not to be too judgy, that like looks like they lift weights. They're (laughs) like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Go to like do some yoga and Pilates. And I'm like, I don't, you know, okay. Yeah. I think it can be misleading because tissue takes so much longer to heal and especially with hormones involved and the mobility component. Like I remember, I think it was like eight weeks postpartum pressing a bit, like pressing like double twelves over my head. And I was like, like shaky, like I couldn't find my center. (laughs) Yes, exactly. And I think that that's the biggest thing is for me, when I do the programming for the early postpartum program, it's it's trying to program like from the center outward. So if you can stabilize your core, if you can stabilize your spine and you can, you know, build your strength and your stability so that it can move in all the directions it's supposed to move and not move in the directions that it's not supposed to move, every movement that comes from that is just going to be much more high quality. And that includes, that very much includes things like running and jumping and heavy weightlifting. I can remember doing a CrossFit workout and I was probably close to like maybe 12 to 16 weeks postpartum. So after I had my first, it was deadlifts and box jumps as you do. And I was like, I was like, there are two male coaches there. And I was like peeing myself like halfway through the workout. And it was an open wad. So they were like, scoring me. So they're standing there watching me. And I like faked an injury because I was like, oh, this is what's happening. I have to go. I was like, oh my knee. I Bye. <laughs> they were like, you okay? I'm like, I'm fine. I'm fine. I'm going. You know? So it's like, and I was so floored by that. And at that time I was a trainer, but I didn't have any experience working with like the prenatal, postnatal population. And so I just didn't, I just didn't know that that was like a thing. I didn't know that it was treatable. I didn't know what was happening. I was like, okay, well, I guess I can't do heavy lifting anymore. When like, I think just the mechanical demand on my body doing deadlifts and box jumps was just like way too much for where I was at. And I felt fit and I looked fit. Like I was like, I mean, I snapped right back to it. I had nine and a half pound baby. And I was like instantly back down to normal after after two weeks. I was like, hey, this is what it's like being postpartum. It's fine. But like, you know, that doesn't happen after a second and third baby. But yeah, your body, like you might look normal and you might look in the mirror and be like, okay, yeah, I'm like, I'm okay. But really what's going on internally is like a completely different story. So yeah, I, I think it's tricky too. I've heard a lot of trainers who do not have the experience of working with postpartum women but have, you know, postpartum women in their class be like, just listen to your body. And you're like, well, what does that, what does that mean? (laughs) You know, like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Like just listen, modify if you need. And I'm like, you need to be specific with those kind of things. (laughs) I think also like it's fitness in general right now is sort of a problematic narrative for women at all, you know, in general is like, you know, push, push, push and 
punish your body and like do everything that's like terrible. Like, oh, but did you die? Like, okay, well, do we really need to like push that extreme when it comes to exercise? And so if you say to a woman, listen to your body in a fitness class, chances are this is the first time she's ever heard those words. And she's like, oh, wait, so I should, shouldn't work through pain or, you know what I mean? So it's like, it's like, you know, and, and, and especially if she doesn't understand what's going on, like we're very specific about telling women, like if you have heaviness in your pelvic floor, if you have any kind of leakage or urgency or pain, please tell us immediately because this could be signs of pelvic floor dysfunction or some some inherent weakness, some, you know, whatever, mechanical misfiring, whatever's going on, you know, so, and then we need to refer out. So it's like, you know, it's just, it's acknowledging that, yeah, there's a whole lot more to the just like listening to your body. Yeah. Like, especially for an athlete too. Yeah. I think a lot of like, I wish there was just more education during the birth process about postpartum. Mm-hmm. And I know when we're pregnant, it's like so much, you like, you're so focused on like the pregnant, you know, the birth that you want and whatever, hypnobirthing. But if there was just ed- like, I have so many women who, are like, oh yeah, yeah, yeah. When I like laugh, I pee, you know? And I'm like, oh, well, how old's your baby? Oh, my nine-year-old. <laughs> and I'm like, yeah. oh, well, okay. So. And um, unfortunately, I think, I think that a lot of, you know, a lot of health professionals will tell women that that's like, oh, it's part of being a mom. I heard this like, like last week, someone told me that. I was like, oh, what? Boy. It's 2020 and people are still saying that? <laughs> oh my God. <laughs> yes. Not normal. No. Peeing while sneezing coughing, laughing, jumping, not normal, postpartum. Common, not normal. Common, but not normal. I'm curious. So let's shift to like the prenatal population. Mm-hmm. I like to tell my ladies, like, if you're thinking about having a kid, you need to prepare for birth and it doesn't need to be a month before. It doesn't need to be eight weeks before. Like I would, if it was an ideal world, I would give it like a year, maybe nine months to prepare for birth, not only nutritionally, but physically. And I know you have like a similar philosophy. Yeah. Everyone is so different and you see everyone at different times. I mean, I have some women who, you know, I've been training for say two plus years and then they tell me that they're pregnant. I'm like, great. Awesome. That's so good. You're so strong. You're ready. Like, here's how we're going to change things. Here's how we're not going to change things. You know, check in with me here and all that kind of stuff. And then, you know, I have women that that come in at 33 weeks and they're like, Hey, can I come to PregnaFit? And I'm like, yeah, sure. But like, just in the sense of like, you should definitely move. You should definitely exercise, but realize that you are to a point where things have to be heavily modified, you know, for, for most people. Yeah. So I'm sure yeah. even if you taught that woman how to breathe better, granted there's a little competition for space, right? That would be such a powerful tool to teach her. Yeah. Yes. Yes. Yeah. I agree. Yeah. There's definitely, I mean, I think I think some of the most valuable things that come out of the pregnancy classes are the discussions that we have. Like, yes, movement is important. Yes, exercise is very valuable, but it really is like it's talking about you know because a lot of people have questions and they can't really ask them to anyone else. So you know they they saw something online about diastasis or they saw something online about prolapse or they saw something online about tearing during birth and and what that does postpartum and 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 we create an environment that you know women are are comfortable to ask those questions. And so it can kind of ease their fears a little bit. Yeah. I'm curious, just in your own experience, is there a 
tendency or a commonality amongst the women that have births that they want. Like, let's say they're healthy and let's say they're going for a natural birth, whatever it may be. Is there a tendency amongst them or commonalities that those women have the birth that they want? Do you mean like movement-wise or attitude-wise or both? Uh, Both. I would say the women that I see that have great outcomes often are the ones who have really done their research and have connected with their practitioner. So whether their practitioner is, you know, a home birth midwife or whether it's, you know, a hospital-based OBGYN, I think that I see often a correlation between those things. Like if they speak highly of their provider, that tends to increase their positive outcomes. Physically, I think it's like, it's such a crapshoot. I mean, I had three completely different births. My three births were totally different. And I have no explanation for that. (laughs) It's just like, you know, it's- Can you share how how they were different? Yeah. So my first- um, my first was born in the UK and they still use forceps regularly there. So I had forceps for my first birth and that was an awful recovery. And then my second was here in New York and he was a hospital birth as well, but he was vaginal without any intervention, no epidural, totally natural, had him squatting. It was great. How was, was recovery? Bit, <laughs> it was better. Yeah. But it's funny though, because I, I actually realized after I had my second that um, I had, I was, so it was probably maybe three, three months postpartum with my second, I had symptoms of a prolapse. And thank God that I knew what that was because I don't know that if I would have gone to see a pelvic floor PT for intervention if I hadn't known, but it's definitely, and then I read, you know, the correlation between a forceps birth and prolapse. So it's like, it's like oh. you're 60% more likely to have a prolapse. If I you, didn't know if, the statistic. Isn't that insane? You're 60% more likely to have a prolapse if you if wow. you had forceps. I know. But it, it just goes to show, right? Because they like, you know, I mean, it's like tongs and then they like pull everything. Oh, it's so like horrible. And I, you know, in retrospect, I'm like, oh, my pelvic floor is probably super tight. It was probably completely hypertonic. I probably had no ability to let go. I've always been a runner. I was a sprinter in college. You know, I've always lifted heavy weights. I had no mechanic to let go. So that's like, you know, another kind of digression. But yeah, that's that's another piece of what I tell my my women is like the ability to relax your pelvic floor is like number one. <laughs> so important. If you want a bad I think, I think that is the biggest, like when I see the ladies, I mean, I have some biases, but the ability to let go is like the biggest, not only emotionally, but physically, or even oh to gosh, access yeah. down there. Yeah, is like the mm-hmm. biggest factor. And then it how really is the third is. birth? So my third birth was a C-section. He was 11 pounds, four ounces. Oh my God. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. Yeah. I'm five foot four. I'm like 125 pounds. It's like insane. I don't know what happened, but he was nine days. No, yeah. He was nine days late and he was actually face presentation. So mm. they didn't know until I was like nine centimeters dilated and my midwife went in and broke my water and she was like, oh, hmm. He's face presentation. And I was like, what's that? I didn't even know. And she's like, let me Google it. So she like Googles it and shows me the image. And I was like, oh my God. So like sunny side up, right? But like sunny side up, but like his head was so far back that uh, it was his chin at my cervix and not his head. So oh my, my suspicion is that he had been like that for a long time and his head was not hitting my cervix to put me into labor. 
So I'm like totally convinced that's why I was so late with him. Also, the fact that an 11 pound four baby probably would have like completely smelt me open if he had come out actually. Yep. Everything would have been broken, everything. And so I think, you know, it was like, you know, my my midwife came in after my C-section and she said, you know, I don't know if you believe in this, but I think that, you know, babies tend to protect their mothers. And she's like, I think the way that he came out, like he knew he was not, he was going to cause some serious damage to him and you by coming out vaginally. And I was like, oh, interesting. interesting. I love that. So he's, my, yeah, he's my little snuggle bug. So it's like, it's good. He's like, he just like hugs me all day long. Kid loves me. He's still breastfeeding two and a half. <laughs> oh, really? <laughs> yeah. Oh my goodness. I know. <laughs> so how was the recovery after the C-section? Because you've experienced a vaginal birth. Yeah. You know what? I think that my recovery from my first birth with the, with the forceps, I think that that was worse. The C-section definitely was not easy, but it was hard in like a different way. Like I couldn't, you know, I was taking for granted even be the, the ability to sit up out of a chair. So then like crouch back in a chair and nursing him yeah. and try to sit up and I'm like, whoa, nope, not going there. For how many weeks? How um, probably like the first, probably like the first month. It was painful. Yeah. You know, obviously it gets less and less as you go. But when I hit six weeks, I was not ready to work out in any way. Thank God my practitioner did, you know, say she's a midwife and she said, you know, maybe wait a little bit longer. And I was like, don't you worry. I don't want to work out right now <laughs> at all. <laughs> so, uh, and you didn't yes. feel that way after the first two. So I just like, I don't know what I felt with my, I mean, I, with my first, because I was a trainer and I didn't really have a lot of time to like think about it. I was working in like a big box gym. It was the only big box gym I ever worked in. And I basically had to go back and teach spin classes at like 12, 12 weeks post. Oh, wow. Yes. <laughs> Rub like, right on that pelvic floor. <laughs> awful. It was so awful. Had women sit on those bikes like every day. I can't I don't know. with the Peloton and stuff. Oh, it's awful. <laughs> I was like, this is so awful. But, um, but yeah, my, and then my, my second, I, I, def- I definitely got I felt, again, I had to go back to work. I was training women and someone was covering for me who was not qualified to work with them. And I was like, okay, I got to get back to work. So I think I literally took like maybe two weeks off with my second. Wow. Yeah. So I wasn't like working out at that time, but I was definitely up and at them. Yeah. So that's really interesting perspective because what I have found, and this is just from clinical observation, is the women who do a lot of yoga or maybe it's just soul yoga, Pilates, bar jumping, jump rope classes have a really hard time letting their pelvic floor go. I think because there's so much of that, like drying up, drying up, almost like yes. over kegeling. Yeah. So yes. they can't do the anti-kegel. They can't let go. Nope. And I also think from just like a mental fortitude resiliency that comes with strength training for the women who, you know, have their eyes on like, this is the birth I want in this dream that sometimes it doesn't happen because I, I, I mean, there's definitely a mental component of letting go, but also kind mm-hmm. of like riding the wave of contractions, sitting in the discomfort, yes. knowing it's going to pass, enjoying yes. the moments between the contraction. Yep. And I think some of that comes from strength training. Oh, I totally like, agree with you. You're lifting the heavy weight. Yeah. You know it's going to be over. So you're grinding through. Yeah. And then there's a break. Yes. 
Exactly. And I think that's probably also that contributes to like the importance of rest and like the concept of rest. Because I definitely, I mean, even with my third, even though I ended up with a C-section, I was literally nine centimeters dilated with no medication when they figured out I had to have a C-section. So I had like completely weather and I had, was having triple contractions. So it was like contraction down a little bit, contraction down a little bit, contraction, and then a rest. So my contractions the whole were time? Like the entire labor oh from when God. I was in active labor. That's what, what was, it was exhausting. But the only thing that got me through was like, I think just was definitely breathing techniques and like going inside of myself and like finding, finding that strength. And I think you're right. You know, the concept of like taking advantage of the rest, but being able to like really go for it when you're in that moment of having to like do the really hard thing. And I think that it's so valuable when it comes to like anything in life and to keep, you know, perspective. I think people who tend to be like very high strung and always on and always like yes. wanting more and like they want to burn the calories. They want to do the little tiny movements to give them long lean muscles. Like that to me is like that contributes to that problematic narrative of fitness that we've been fed as women. Like you need to be small, but lean and have a visible six pack, but also the ability to birth children and then to recover right away and look like you've never had one and be right back at at work, you know, as soon as you have that baby. And it's like, this is not real. This is not real life. This is not, this is not how our bodies, this is certainly not how our psyches work. That for me, I have found strength training and particularly kettlebells to be one of the most empowering things because it taught me that, yes, I can work hard and yes, I will make progress, but it will be over a, a, you know, a certain amount of time. And you have to have that perspective and you have to have that patience and the consistency. You know, it's the same thing with, with nutrition, same exact thing. Yeah. How do you start to shift a woman's mindset from that Type A work hard. I gotta be like in a puddle of sweat after my workout. It needs to be five days a week. How do you start to shift that? I mean, obviously, when they're coming to you, there's been some shift, like something's right. not working previously. Yep. Um, but maybe for the women where that mindset kind of lingers into their strength training, what do yeah. you tell them? So I'm not afraid to, and I thank God that I have my own studio because I think, I'm not sure this would fly elsewhere. Um, but like, I'm not afraid to call people out during workouts and to say like, stop, like that's too much. Or like your form is being compromised or, Hey, take the rest, rest, rest means rest. Rest doesn't mean, and, and, you know, also talking to people and like continuing the communication when they're not in the gym and being able to talk to them you know, whether it's on social media or whether they, t- I mean, my con- my clients constantly talk to me, message, text, Facebook, whatever. And just saying like, Hey, what are you doing? You know, on your off day, like a six mile run is not a rest day. It's okay for you to go for a six mile run, but like you have to have one complete rest day. I would prefer two or three, you know, our maximum memberships are four times a week and we only have a couple people on that. Most of our clients only come three times a week it's embedded into our program. The way that we have things done is like they are forced to take at least two to three rest days during the week because we don't have those kind of memberships. We don't offer an unlimited membership, which I find is like, there's another facility that is, you know, has multiple locations nearby me and their tactic is for the trainers who are at, so the people come to like a certain time and they do that certain time all the time. They have to like commit mm-hmm. to that time of day. And yeah. if the trainer doesn't see that particular client 
like five, six days a week, they're constantly telling them like, oh, where were you? Oh, where were you? What were you doing? And it's almost like this, like this, this like really checking in on you. (laughs) Yes. But it's like this, like guilt that they're like, well, if you weren't, and and, you know, I, I, I spoke to uh, one woman who was training for a marathon and she communicated that her trainer said, you know, I'm, I'm marathon training. I'm going to be running in like three months. So I'm doing a high, high mileage on my days and I'm not here. So I'm only coming, you know, three days a week. And he was like, he's like, oh, he's like, you could, you could run and do a workout. That's like, dude, what's wrong with you? (laughs) What? (laughs) What is wrong with you? Why would you say that? That's just like, that's just like total complete nonsense. And it's so frustrating from my standpoint as well, because like this poor girl, she listened to it and she ended up with like multiple stress fractures. Yeah. So it was like, well, she was also, you know, counting her macros, which is another thing that they do, which is horrible. But if people come into my space, you're right. People are already there. They're, they know that there's something wrong with this idea of like constant go with high intensity all the time, no rest days, no days off, you know, no pain, no gain. They are not in that mentality. Um, every once in a while, I'll get someone coming into PregnaFit who might be going there. But I just try to like slip in little like phrases like, it's okay for you to have an off day. And like, actually, this is better for you. You know, just try to like say like, it's okay to like, you know, allow, allow your body to like nourish and, you know, relax. And like, that's okay because stress is stress is stress. One time I, I had a conversation with one particular client who's very intense. And I said to her something about stress being contributing to like early signs of aging. And she like looked at me and she was like, What? I was like, yeah, you can look older if you're like hot, super stressed emotionally, you're constantly working out, you're not eating enough. I was like, that's going to make you look weathered and older because it's literally like mitochondrial damage that you're doing yeah. to your cells. And she was like, what? And she like left that day. And then she texted me later and she was like, what, what did you say about that? So I sent her an article about it. And she was like, oh my gosh. And I think from that day, I just saw this like change in her. She was like totally different. <laughs> So. Whatever pushes the button to make the shift. Right. And I wasn't like, I wasn't like trying to like, you know, say like, oh, you're going to look old. I just was like, you know, it can like pre, it can prematurely age you. And that's, you know, it actually causes damage. This isn't just yeah. like me trying to like promote my philosophy. This is like, this is fact. This is science, you know? Yeah. So um, what for the, like for the women who are listening, maybe they're not pregnant, but they want to get pregnant. What do you wish every mother knew? Like if you're like, I had three babies, I had three different births, I work with women on PregnaFit and Her Strength Studio. This is like a couple of things like I wish every woman who is going to give birth should know. So I think probably the number one thing is like just coming back to the ability to relax your pelvic floor can like never be overestimated. It is like so important. <laughs> to be able to relax your pelvic floor. Yes, you can engage your pelvic floor. Almost everyone, especially everyone who's ever worked out or been a dancer or a runner, those people are, or you have a, just like a very high strong personality, you can do a Kegel in most cases. It's letting down the tone of the pelvic floor and being able to like, especially if you're not pregnant yet, seeing a pelvic floor PT and ensuring that you understand how to relax your pelvic floor, that is like everything. Is everything. 
especially <laughs> especially if you want a vaginal birth. It really is. It's like it's it like really that's is. the one thing. Yep. It really it's it's the one thing. And people just don't even know. They're like, what do you mean? I have to like relax my flow before. I thought I had to kegel a hundred times a day. I'm like, please stop kegeling a hundred times a day. <laughs> just <laughs> that's not right in general. Just like don't do the kegel unless like right. Your your pelvic floor therapist is telling you to <laughs> right again. Like this is part of reflexive strength. Like you're if you if you need to kegel, like in most cases you're going to kegel. If you need to use your core muscles, that doesn't mean you squeeze your abs as hard as you can. That means that your body is going to respond and react when it's connected well, because that's how the body works functionally. It doesn't work in isolation. Yeah. So I'm, yeah, yeah. I love that. I'm curious, you know, because you were a trainer in the big box gym. Now you own your own studio, and Clinically, I always kind of like poo-poo bodybuilders, right? Because there's like this sway and this, you know, right. like, I don't know, for like good core engagement, you need this, um, the cylinder. But maybe I'm, maybe I'm not like, I mean, I'm sure there's, you know, for people who want the aesthetics, right? there's some validity, but maybe I'm like off basis. What's your thoughts as a trainer? So my problem with bodybuilding is honestly that, I mean, firstly, you're training like what, six, seven days a week. If you're, especially if you're working up to a competition, you're, you're training constantly yes. during two days, like you're constantly training and you're ingraining into your brain, this concept that like all of these muscles work independently of each other. And like, yes, you're still doing things that use your whole body. Yes. You're still, yes, you're still walking. You're still doing squats, which involve lots of different muscle groups. But if your body can't, communicate to itself functionally, if you're not contributing to functional exercise, what good is that for the long term? Typically it's a lot of like crunches. It's a lot of flexion, which like no one really needs any more flexion of the spine. <laughs> Especially postpartum. We're all like, oh, looking at our phones yes. and like, you know, like sitting like this at our desks and like <laughs> crouched over and, yeah. you know, so the women who have had, who as clients who have done bodybuilding in the past, typically have a very unhealthy relationship with food. That's yeah. my biggest problem with bodybuilding is like, is the lifestyle and the mentality of like, go, go, go. If you miss a day, like if you don't get your chicken and broccoli, if you have, you know, a beer, like you've ruined everything. And it really is that specific. And you have to be so militant with everything that you're doing. And you know, you've got to carry around your like three gallon jug of water everywhere. And like, what are you trying to achieve here? Are you trying to prove something to yourself or are you trying to prove something to someone else? Is it about worth? I think you just have to like dig in. Why am I doing this? Why am I doing this particular thing this particular way? And if it's because it makes you feel empowered and like you've achieved something, then go for it. But you can't keep it up. Yeah. It's not sustainable. Yeah. Yeah. Where can people find you? So um, on all my Instagram pages. Um, <laughs> so our main studio page is at her underscore strength underscore studio on Instagram. And our pregnancy page dedicated to our prenatal program is at pregnancy underscore fitness. So very easy to remember on Instagram. And then How'd you get that? how did you get that Instagram handle? I was in the game early. <laughs> 2014. Oh my gosh. Amazing. Yep. yep. Awesome. Yep. I got it. <laughs> it's mine forever. <laughs> no one else. No, um, awesome lady. Thanks so much for like just sharing your wealth of knowledge and your, your for multiple me. birth stories. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> That's a wrap. 
I have two truths that I fully believe in. First, to be 1% better every single day. And second, all feedback is good feedback because it helps us grow. Why do I say this? If you're enjoying these conversations and you find this is adding value, send us some love by subscribing to Muscle Medicine Podcast on iTunes. And if you want to share your voice with the world and scream it from the rooftops and tell your friends, or you can just give us a little feedback so we can grow by rating and reviewing Muscle Medicine on iTunes. Thank you guys. So much gratitude. Dr. Emily Kybert here. Music.